Good morning, everyone. This is Nube Brown sharing space with you here on Prison Focus Radio on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. We're going to get right to the show. I got some breaking news that I wanted to make sure I got to you today. So uh, we're going to start with the conversation, the second part of the conversation I was having last week with Robert Dixon Jr. and Bob Stewart, his friend and mentor. At that, at the end of the last week's conversation, I wanted to transition into asking about their experience um, with Robert's multiple parole denials, and asked Bob Robert if he'd be willing to share that with us. So that's where we're going to start. Thank you so much. Then we're going to get right into the other conversation with Tasha Williams and Makini Ayepo. Have a beautiful, beautiful week. I care about you. I send my love to all of you behind the walls and your family and loved ones here on the outside. Here we go. Enjoy the show. Uh, you know what? I, I'm always open and willing to uh, have a conversation about what Bob and I have experienced, what me and the family have experienced, what we've all experienced through this process. Uh, <clears throat> the board, you know, parole hearings, uh, that was a very tough thing for me to go through. I think it's the toughest part of my life. What I'm going through out here uh, is easy peasy compared to that. Um, it's also easy because of the support that I have in my life to help me navigate through a lot of the uh, challenges that I'm not familiar with because I have been gone away from society for so long. But um, that experience at the board, uh, having Bob in my life, I remember I got so many stories, but one that stands out is when, and I was talking to my wife, Tanya, about this the other day when I was going through a lot of my old paperwork. And um, all of the different things that we would do together, We'd come on a visit, we would sit down, we would discuss, okay, this is where we're at, this is what's happening, what is it that you need to do to, uh, to be found suitable for parole, what are they asking you for, what can I do to help you? Um, and he and Helen did everything that, along with my parents, that could be done to help me. They helped me get my education. They helped me with legal fees. They helped me with um, my vocabulary. I remember Helen on a visit saying, you know, uh, because I didn't speak very well when I first went into prison because uh, I didn't go through school the way that I would have liked to. You know, I avoided school. I hated school. And so I used a lot of broken diction when I spoke, um, a lot of Ebonics. Not to say that that's a bad language, but, you know, if you're going to be productive in mainstream society, uh, it's best to know how to speak well. So um, Helen noticed it right away in the way that I spoke. And she said on a visit one time, uh, this was in the earlier part of our relationship, uh, do you mind uh, me correcting you? And I says, no, I don't. Please do so if that's going to help make me better. And her, you know, having a degree in, in, in uh, uh, English literature, uh, that was right up her alley. Um, so, uh, and she did. And she did it in a way that didn't make me feel, um, you know, uncomfortable or ignorant uh, or stupid, you know. Um, and it improved. I improved over time. Also, they encouraged me to write more so that I could learn how to articulate uh, myself on paper, which also improved my ability to communicate. And so, um, 
But on this one particular occasion, I went to board in 2002 and represented myself. I felt that it was a rites of passage sort of uh, experience. Uh, I took. I wanted to take full responsibility on my own two feet for what I had done wrong. And um, I was given a one-year denial after being given a three-year denial. And then back then, in 2002, uh, a one-year denial usually indicated to a lifer that they were going to be going home. And shortly after that, I was transferred to Ofosa. Uh, we were all excited about that. We were all, you know, my father was still alive. Uh, my mother was still alive. She didn't pass until 2003. Uh, but she was sick, and she had already came to visit me and, and informed me that her life was, uh, was going to be coming to an end uh, because of the illness uh, that she was facing, the severe illness that she was facing. Um, so I, I get transferred to Old Folsom. I'm going back to the drawing board. I'm checking all the boxes that the board is asking me to check. Bob and I are constantly consulting. Um, I can I can go to the yard and pick up the phone and call him, and he would be in Kuala Lumpur, and he would still <laughs> not be too busy to take that call, Aww. you know. And I would talk to him and say, hey, you know, this is what's going on here. You know, I just got the psych report back, you know, and he'll talk to me, and then he'll say, okay, I got a meeting coming up. Call me later, you know. Uh, but always available. He was always available uh, whenever I needed him. And I know that's a rarity in prison uh, uh, because there's a lot of my brothers that I left back there that that don't have a mentor like Bob Stewart in their life, you know. Mm-hmm. And mentorship is very important for many uh, uh, men that uh, are incarcerated as well as men that are out here in, in communities. So, um, you know, I... I started to run into some difficulty with the board. They started to change up uh, their processes in terms of how they evaluate inmates. They came in with some assessment tools that they had not been using previously that gave me such a high reading that it made it next to impossible for me to be found suitable. And that We were literally told that by our attorneys as well as by the board, that we just don't give parole dates to people who have a moderate to high risk of dangerousness that has been determined by a psychological evaluation. And that sent me, because of all the work that I had done, because I had been found given a one-year denial, which is indicative of parole suitability. And I also met the requirements in terms of how much time I had to do based on the sentence that I was given it seemed reasonable that I would be released. Um, but it, it, it just, things started to change for the worst. The psych report, and then I went to the board, um, and the DA came in to the boardroom without letting us know that they were bringing you know, the family, which they have a right to do. And that was an aha moment for me as well, meeting the family uh, of, of, the, of the victim that, my co-defendant and I, you know, created uh, through our criminality, and uh, it was life-changing for me because I got a chance to connect with the family, to uh, recognize and understand the impact of how of the crime that that I participated in had on them, the pain and suffering that they were experiencing. It was important that I experienced that uh, because it was life-changing. Uh, prior to that, I had not made that interpersonal connection or that human connection and so uh, i'm grateful for that 
But because things started to turn, you know, for the worse, I went from a one-year denial and got a four-year denial. And it wasn't even because of any disciplinary problems on my part. It was just because of the psych uh, evaluation. And that was because the Board of Parole Hearings decided to change uh, the method in which they use to evaluate an inmate with uh, assessment tools. So, so uh, I ended up being very stressed out. I ended up with singles, and I I could call Bob, and I could tell him what I was going through, and he would always be there to talk to me about it, to help me through it. Um, and so it, it, it's been one uh, situation or event after another in this journey that he and I uh, and his wife as well, Helen's always been there, um, have gone on for, I believe it was 27 years. By the time I was released, we had been friends and family, extended family members for 27 years. Who does that? You know, what kind of person that comes from, this is the part that I just find so remarkable, as I did with the Hurricane Carter story. What kind of people who come from completely different backgrounds. Uh, Bob grew up in uh, Michigan. Uh, Helen grew up, I believe, in New Jersey. New York. Uh, New, York. New York. Thank you, New York. Uh, they came from, you know, the, the, you know, never, you know, never had any kind of, 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 you know, dysfunction in the family that 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 I had experienced in mine. Growing up in a large family, there was some dysfunction. Um, uh, having a lot of step siblings, a lot of attitudes, a lot of anger, a lot of you know all kinds of uh, things going on that made it challenging for us as a family. Uh, also, the community that we lived in, there was a lot of that around us. I uh, didn't mean we have had to choose to 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 partake in it, but it was there, and it and it made it easy for those that are vulnerable to uh, to to gravitate to that kind of negativity and as I did uh, but what kind of people that comes from that kind of background they both were educated uh, you know they got married right out of high school uh, they were the first people that they had ever been together with that's a very rare story in, in itself there um, and then here they just you know decide to write a letter to a 49er who ran into some bad luck you know and go out their way to you know, reach out to help someone. When you talk about, when I think about people like Gandhi, and I think about Dr. Martin Luther King, and you know, and and, and uh, many many others, men and women in our history, that have shown such unconditional love, altruism, true altruism, where you know there is nothing in it for them, other than the joy of you know making a difference in somebody's life, and that's what I needed. And I was ready for it at the time that they came in my life. Had they come in my life 10 years earlier, I wouldn't have been ready because I was still young and foolish. And, uh, you know, they wouldn't have been my type of people at that time. So I'm grateful that God, you know, works things out in, in, in time as it did in my case, in our case, because I believe they have their lives have been equally as enriched as mine has. And... Um, so it's just it's just remarkable, and it's changed my whole perspective of of humanity. You know, they give me faith when it comes to humanity. 
Okay, well, that is um, a beautiful segue into Bob. I am sure that you um, have something that you would like to to share around that as well. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah, the the, uh, the pro process, and that started as as, as Robert said. I think he yeah, he did it by himself. He did a pretty good job. Uh, and he got the one year denial, and then uh, my daughter went out and found. Uh, kind of did the the Google search, and we you know came across actually one of the probably the best uh, you know pro board hearing lawyers in the state, Charles Carbone, and we hired I hired him, and uh, I remember uh, his his uh, father uh, you know Robert Dixon Senior and I went and visited uh, Charles in his office in San Francisco, and then we uh, we met him and we were impressed with Charles, and then, and then I took him out and I said, well. And this is 
you know, after them, I, I have to make, take my shoes and socks off to count the number of parole board hearings and disappointments. And and uh, so finally, he got a fair. He got transferred down to San Luis. I think the first time it was around uh, 2014, 2015. They transferred him from Folsom. And uh, um, and so he finally got a really good psych hearing. He had a couple of good psych hearings, and they can they continue to come back and raise the bar and point out other things that uh, they felt uh, wouldn't release him. So and during this time, we see. Uh, many many uh, prisoners get released, and good good for them who did far, uh, you know, worse things. They, you know, committed multiple murders, and uh, it was all first degree. And here he was, second degree life on a fifteen year sentence, and now after thirty some odd years, he finally gets uh, released. Not because of the parole board, by the way, but because of the the new uh, felony um, murder rule that the state. Passed, thank God, about a year and a half or two years ago, that said, "No, no. Um, if you're the lookout or something, you're, you you shouldn't be charged with first or second degree murder unless there was, you know, disregard for life or th- those kind of things." So we finally we found a uh, we we got a um, a uh, you know public defender uh, in Oakland. Just a great guy. I think his name escapes me right now, and I kind of think of him as the Matthew McConaughey of the legal profession. He did a great job, and and we we got Robert released uh, a year ago. What a, what a fabulous uh, celebration that was! And of course, there's a lot to talk about, but the, the year that he spent out here has just been incredible. He's impressed, uh, uh, you know, very high level folks. Not surprised that that uh, they saw in him. Uh, somebody that uh, you know uh, was an outstanding worker and a leader, and somebody that carried himself, somebody that you could trust, and uh, and uh, which which uh, obviously the parole board didn't trust him to, to, to release him. So I understand the parole is a legitimate process, and, they, and there are people that they probably shouldn't release, but there are many people that are releasing uh, that should be released. They go back and do all the gang banging and drugs, and and uh, frankly. The people that are the lifers, their recidivism rate is, is probably the lowest. So a lot of people think, oh, my God, you know, he committed murder. No, no, they're the people who are probably not going to uh, go back into prison um, because and they're the people, by the way, that stabilize the prison system. Um, you know, the, 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 they're, the, they're the pros. They're the old pros. They keep the youngsters in, in tow most of the time, except for the gangbangers. There's not much you can do about that. So, I mean, over this period of time, uh, the it's just crushing blows on the on the psyche to, to you know know for sure you've done your time and, and I've got I've had, I couldn't understand why I as a professional engineer and my other colleagues are all professionals uh, you know we we had the former San, uh, warden of San Quentin uh, do a uh, he did an interview with with me and, and Robert he did he did it and we had. The, and who are now very close personal friends of the family, a couple uh, board psychologists, uh, Peter and Susan, that uh, have, have now been part of the inner team to help uh, uh, Robert. And they've done uh, also d- done you know reports on Robert to, to to submit to the board. So we've all written letters. Uh, people, you know, well uh, positioned people in professional life write these letters and the, and the board just blew them off. I just blew me away. I hate injustice. It's one of the things that motivates me when I see an injustice. 
I hate it. I mean, I'm sorry, Robert, and, you know, we want to do all these things, but injustice uh, motivates me to continue fighting until, you know, until the end. <laughs> Whatever it takes. We were not going to end. We were not going to stop until Robert got out. And, and there were times when I, I'm not sure either one of us thought he was going to get out. Um, but, but then uh, I, I think the last couple of years, we started to see maybe there was a light at the end of the tunnel. And, uh, and, and fortunately, this felony murder rule got changed in California where they're, you know, that they're, <clears throat> and a lot of people don't realize, but in California, I mean, it, it's the U.S. is kind of like a prison state in a, in a way. There's way too many people incarcerated uh, all over the country, and particularly in California. And, and many of those people are, are you know, uh, minorities and, and people of color, if you will. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate um, all of that, uh, Bob, both of you, uh, Robert as well. And one of the things that people are calling for out here is um, a community parole board so that maybe some of these things can't happen. That too is another conversation. But now that the two of you and your families have gone through this and Robert, you are now free and the two of you can be together um, with your families. Um, I know Robert, unfortunately, um, some of your family members have passed away, but your, your friendships and you're able to uh, endure and your, um, the family that is here, you are able to enjoy and you're enjoying your lives. Let's end with just a few minutes of, uh, from each of you. Um, about how you feel about where you are right now. Uh, I'll start. I just I would say that you know, you know, after 36 years and the way that I've been embraced and supported and loved by my family, I got a lot of nieces. They all really rallied around me, um, helped me in many ways adjust to society. My sister. Um, I was able to travel and go to Arizona where she lives and where my father, the last residence that he lived, she took care of him before he died, mm. spent time with her and my and her children, my nephew, who's in, as Bob said, is in the Air Force. I'm very, very proud of all of my nieces and nephews. And, um, and so just the way that my family has um, embraced me and supported me and um, it's really been amazing. And of course, you know, uh, the first month it was me and Bob again, Bob was, you know, even while he's, you know, doing his engineering and consulting, he still found time to come and drive me to all the various agencies that I needed to go to, to get my social security card, to get my California ID and even to get a job. So, you know, and I know a lot of my brothers, I uh, think that's part of what makes it so difficult for ex-felons when they get out is that they don't have that kind of support. And uh, it's important that they have it because that really made the difference in my transition. Uh, not, not, not to say that I wasn't prepared because I did spend a lot of time preparing. And, of course, that was also due to Bob's mentoring and suggestions and ideas and just many, many conversations on what is it going to look like to be successful when I get out, uh, what could I realistically expect, what kind of challenges that I'm going to face, 
all of those kinds of conversations we had uh, on many of our visits uh, in the midst of all the wonderful pictures of his travels and, and the many stories that we had about those travels, which I enjoy tremendously, that uh, just really um, propelled me, uh, teleported me out of the prison system for those two days and would last for about two weeks till he returned again, and it helped me a lot. So um, I am doing very well. I'm married now to a wonderful, beautiful um, woman who cares about me and is also helping me navigate through a lot of the challenges of things that I don't know, and that is such a beautiful experience. She knows my story. She doesn't judge me. She accepts me for who I am. Good, bad, and indifference. Uh, my family has done the same. They've seen the change in me. Um, and I'm very, very proud of who I am. Uh, I had an opportunity yesterday to go to Sonoma where uh, a friend of mine, Malik Wade, invited me. He's also an ex-felon. Uh, did federal time, wrote a book, and came out and really uh you know, serve the community. It's part of our living amends. Uh, there's, we have a living amends where we believe we uh, must do something to give back to the community. Well, yesterday he invited me to what is called the neighborhood uh, retreat. Uh, there's um, folks all throughout California who are in a financial position to make a difference in inner city young men and women's lives by opening up their homes and their property. And this was one of those beautiful farms. It's called the Sonoma Broadway Farm. And they had eight uh, men that comes from San Francisco. Most, uh, you know, have having, having trouble uh, with law enforcement and just finding their way of trying to find a sense of purpose. I was invited to go there and, you know, speak to them, embrace them, share my story uh, with the hopes of, of, of giving them something to, to think about uh, so that they could, you know, get on the right track, you know, and find their way. And, oh, my God, it was amazing. And we hugged, and I just, um, the way that life is going for me is, I just, it's amazing. And so if the 36 years is what it was going to take, for me to um, get to a point to where now I'm at the point of launching my own business, Nate Plus Ultra Fitness, a mobile fitness, uh, something that Bob and I worked uh, you know, hard on while I was in prison. Many talks, many debates. Uh, he helped get it set up. Uh, you know, with the financial uh, aspect of the, the business name, and he encouraged me, he supported me, and now my wife is doing it. We're partners. And uh, we're uh, getting ready to uh, sign on our first client. Uh, my work that I'm doing in San Francisco, being able to give back to the homeless uh, at the homeless uh, hotel, shelter-in-place hotel, uh, it's been life-changing for me. So I've been given so many opportunities to give back. I've been given so many opportunities where people have given to me uh, their love, their unconditional love and support not judging me at all for what I did when I was 14, 13, 12, 11, uh, you know, 19, just, it's been remarkable. And so uh, I'm just grateful. I just have a lot of gratitude. It's, it's humbling. Um, and I'm just moving forward and doing everything that I can to make a difference 
because uh, I know my parents are very, very proud of me. I know Bob's very proud of me. I know Connie's very proud of me. I know Helen's proud of me. My sister and nieces and nephews are proud of me, and I'm proud of me. Thank you so much, Robert, and congratulations. Um, just, I'm so I'm so happy for you too. And if I'm going to take the privilege to say I'm proud of you as well, but I'm mostly inspired by you. And I am so grateful that you are um, out here with us and able to to share all of this um, this this love and experience um, with others that will definitely benefit from it. Will you please tell us one more time the name of your business? Nay Plus Ultra Nay N E Plus P L U S Ultra U L T R A Fitness. Nay Plus Ultra is a Latin word that means excellence. And it is the excellence that I learned while I was in prison to become uh, really good at bodybuilding and fitness. And it is the excellence that I learned from really sitting down and talking to my father and listening to him describe what it was like for him to build a successful masonry business. It is the excellence that I've watched my friend, who I refer to as a bar man. I'll let him describe to you what that means uh, in his line of work. Uh, it is also the excellence that I've learned from the business courses that I've taken on what it means to be successful in quality service um, and just you know having a moral compass and integrity and just doing things the right way <laughs> all right bob um yes um again do you know in a, in a few minutes you know please let's let's end with you know the positive the you know we've we're finally here yeah well uh, absolutely it's a lot of positive one he's out here he's an incredible success beyond really my wildest uh, expectations including his just uh we to hit the deck running, um, and you know, frankly, uh, certainly the last probably twenty of those twenty-five years, he never wasted a minute. His time management, uh, he was all over that, and he educated himself. He read books, um, you know, he took courses, uh, you know, and he was a star. <laughs> he was a. They had him when he was down in San Luis. That they, you know, he was taking some classes. Uh, and they, you know, they, they put him on and, you know, be sort of the, the leader of the groups and so forth. So he was clearly recognized by, by all the people later on in the prison system as somebody that they could trust and rely on for sure. Yeah, but, but I would say the, 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 the positive other than having a, a new brother that I never had because I was an only child, by the way, uh, mm. but having uh, Jennifer, his sister, we have a great relationship. We're really, really very good friends, and she's family, and then with her children, Miracle, Malik, and McKenna, we, we met with them and and uh, and, and uh, continue to to uh, you know talk with them and, and follow them on their journey to, to get started in life. So I think one thing is it, it, you know it's, being in prison is not easy, but but frankly uh, there was some helpful things along the way, but, but it, it, it boggles the mind that that uh, once you did get pulled and, the, and they go out with, a, I don't know, put a couple hundred dollars in your pocket, said, good luck, go out there and try to get a, 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 a an ID card, get a social security card, get a, get a driver's license. Holy smoke, we drove all over the Bay Area trying to get all that done. Not real easy to do, by the way, and you have to, 
you can't take no for an answer. And uh, and, and so uh, I, I want to give a lot of credit to the, 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 the parole agent he had, Agent Green, I don't remember his first name. He was a fabulous parole, parole agent that is very helpful. Uh, and uh, of course, he knew right away that Robert could be trusted. And uh, you know, we we meet and we uh, from time to time uh, at his when he initially uh, uh, found a place to stay and so forth. So he's been very very helpful. And but, but getting out there when you get out of prison, keep in mind something that's that has not spent any of his adult life uh, outside of prison. He was incarcerated, uh, I think, at the age of nineteen or twenty or something like that, and. Uh, now at the age of what fifty-seven or so forth, he's out and uh, he's educated himself, got a you know a, a GED and, and and so forth. But he's you know computers. I mean, I can tell him about all these things, but, but you know uh, cell phones and all these whiz bang devices, he has no uh, experience with, uh, no expertise. So to go out and, and do all this, uh, that's that's a challenge. Not to have somebody there uh, along with a, a, a mentor and 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 uh, family and friends to help guide you through this. It's not, not an easy process. But, 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 but we got, got it started and, you know, he's doing very well. He's uh, making twice the annual uh, minimum wage. This is fantastic. He's a supervisor in a very difficult spot. Um, and uh, he's recognized by, by uh, well-educated people that, uh, you know, want to have him uh, be associated with him. And so as he develops this, uh, his personal fitness, because he's a fabulous uh, fitness trainer. I mean, that's pretty obvious. I mean, during the time I was uh, going to visit him, he'd, he'd have two or three people that he would help train, some of the younger kids that he'd, he'd try to help mentor them and, and uh, not let them get dragged into the gang, the gang you know, culture and all that. And he even had a few guards that requested that he, he, he train them as well. So, I mean, he's going to be a success. He is a success now and he's all the time he's put in prison to, to prepare himself uh is paid off in, in my opinion so by the way he's writing a book as well um uh new day so we, we hope that's going to be it'll be a it, it'll be quite the book i believe and sort of uh uh you know uh the african-american life and experience and going through prison and all that i, I think it, it, it uh, i don't know if it's going to make the best uh you know uh, book list, but uh, it'll be an interesting book. So he's working on that now. Hopes to maybe complete that. I don't know. Um, sometime in his spare time. Well, we yeah. will. We will be sure to look for that as soon as that is out. We will be here to promote it because I really want to thank both of you. Mostly, what I hear is just really the love and the transformation. It sounds like all of you have gone through. And I just really appreciate the two of you for sharing that with us today. So, um, yes, that's all I can. That's all I can say is thank you so much. And thank you for having us. Yeah, thank thank you for having us. It was it was a fun experience. I hope we are uh, not going to bore your audience, but it, it, it was a catharsis on his part, and, and, and just a really really interesting uh uh time and it's it's been worth it and i'm really so happy to have him out here and, he, and by the way he will be a tremendous uh uh giving back to, to young troubled youth in, in the inner cities i think he'll be a guiding light and uh i, I think that's one of the things that frustrated me why even the, the folks that kept him in prison for about 20 years too long didn't see that right. that the huge benefits of him 
now being uh, somebody that can motivate uh, you know young troubled youth in the inner cities I think that's huge spoken anyway. like a true loving big brother <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> all right all right well okay. thank you both thank you Robert um, so much and and we again we just welcome you with open arms I hope to meet you two together of course that would be awesome yes We'd love to do that. That'd be great. We look forward to it. That'd be a lot of fun. All right. All right. Thank you two so much. And um, continue um, to just shine the light and um, stay safe. You're welcome. You stay safe. All right. Bye. 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 All right, if you are just joining us, this is Prison Focus Radio. I'm your host, Nube Brown, here on KPOO San Francisco 89.5. Uh, we are now going to listen to a conversation that I had um, with Tasha Williams and Makini Ayepo. Tasha Williams wrote the article for a very explosive article for the San Francisco Bayview. You can find the full article at sfbayview.com. Um, and the title of this very explosive piece is Soledad 3 a.m. Raid on 200-plus Black Prisoners. We will also, again, like I said, we will be here with Makini Ayepo. She is the wife of um, Yafeo, who has been caged for over 45 years. All right, here we go. Tasha, I would love for you to talk to us about what happened, and uh, we'll start with that. Okay. Yeah, so I received a call Monday morning from my husband um, just saying that he woke up to being thrown out of his bed and slamming his head into the wall, which is concrete. Um, And, you know, looking around at men in full riot gear, including helmets and just ridiculous stuff. Uh, They took him out of his cell barefoot in his boxers with no mask and put him in the chow hall with his guesstimation was about 200 other black men only. And uh, from what he saw, uh, he saw no, no black guards at all. It was Hispanic guards and white guards only. Um, they sat there for a few hours. First, their their hands were zip-tied uh, in their cells, and um, my husband's hands turned blue. His, his were so tight, and I guess multiple inmates had this issue as well. And they were made to sit, I think he said, four at a table, which is not even close to six feet apart. Um, and they sat there for hours and... Uh, Basically, my my husband was called up to someone. He saw his picture on a piece of paper, and um, it said uh, it said basically that because his father was affiliated with the Black Gorilla family, that he, through conversating with his father, must be affiliated too. Um, so then they were released back to their cells and they all of their stuff their books uh the only books that were taken from my husband's cells cell were were his books that were written by black revolutionaries Mm -hmm. um so uh that speaks volumes as to how much race is involved in this um if you know gathering up of hundreds of black men wasn't you know evidence enough of that of course but um so today he's seeking medical attention for the bump on his head, and he, he's okay. 
but um, this is, it just it never should have happened. Absolutely, um, McKinney. Did you want to did you want to add something to that um, before? Um, I... How did they? So you said that they they had them zip tied. I mean, so whenever they um, found them in, in their sleep at what was it three a.m. They just took them out like that. So if they were in their boxers, I, mean, I don't know what they were. If they didn't have on any shoes, if they allowed them to put their shoes on. I mean, do you know that? Yeah. Oh, she, my husband does not walk anywhere without shoes. And okay. he was completely barefoot and nothing but his boxer briefs. And they wouldn't even let them get their masks. Nobody right. had masks. No masks. And were they, obviously, they weren't six feet apart, were they? He said uh, they sat them four at a table, and if you've ever been to visiting, mm-hmm. the tables are not big. It's like a card table, basically. So um, four men at a table, nowhere near six feet apart, right. and the warden lied in an email to me this afternoon saying that, you know, they did practice social distancing. And, did he uh, say he observed it or something? Yes, he said he observed it, and he said there were no injuries whatsoever. My husband was injured, but he also saw an elderly man be pushed down the stairs. Oh, Jesus. So, yes. A very While handcuffed? Point. Yes, everybody was zip tied. Okay. That is amazing to me. Can I? Uh, I want to ask you about his relationship with with his dad, though. I mean, he, the, he's being penalized for for communicating with his father. Was it, it? Yeah. And it's like obviously they read the letters. There's nothing. They have no. Uh, they have no evidence of any kind of, um, you know shenanigans between the two it's just uh it's it's father son stuff i mean really you know with the the system the way it is they really don't even know each other because his father's been in the system since he was a child and so and he's a former black panther all that stuff so um like they don't even know each other well enough for for them to collaborate on anything like this And like you said, the guards, they read all of their mail. I mean, I'm assuming they've been communicating for a long time or for a while. I believe it's been a few years now. Right. But like they would have they would have validated my husband if they had any letter with any evidence in it. So absolutely. Fools. So how was your husband's spirit? I mean, when he spoke to you. Oh, the first day was not good. He sounded defeated. Um, He didn't like because he does not partake in prison politics. He's not gang affiliated. He never has been. Uh, He went to prison and he is one of the very few people who bettered his life. So um, he was completely shocked because he he said he's never received this kind of treatment in Soledad, like, of course, he's been on a level four yard before, but like in Soledad at this level, he has never, he's never seen people with helmets, first of all, and he's never been attacked and assaulted the way he was on Monday. Can I ask you, do you, are you, okay, so if this is what he's experiencing now, I mean, this is, looks like group punishment for whatever it is that they're doing. What about, um, the, the the write-ups, are you concerned that your your husband is going to get a write-up for something that he didn't... I'm assuming that he's write-up free. Oh. Is he going to get a, a write-up for this? I, I'm, I'm concerned. I mean, I'm concerned far more than a write-up 
Like, they could literally take my husband's life and make some stupid excuse. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, George Jackson had a gun, magically. No. Like... Mm -hmm. Okay. You're, you're, you're wise to be concerned and know who they are. I mean, we are dealing with, you know, the devil, really. Yeah, I mean, no. They have absolutely no, no value for I mean, they don't even acknowledge them as human beings. And so it, it would be no problem for them to compromise any of our men. Um, right. And we best to pay attention to that. And, and, and you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that when you were sitting here having these concerns and conversations about your loved one, your husband, whomever, being safe, you got to worry about if I speak up, what what potentially could happen to them? Exactly, that's you know, what I. That's a real. That's a real thing. It's a real thing. Um, during the hunger strike, I mean, you just—it's just so much, you know. With this COVID, you know, my husband was asking me something, and I was like, you know, stay away from everybody, you know, bump elbows if you just feel like you need to communicate, you know, just you know, disinfect and everything. But I mean, just. It's just so much you have to think for. And, it, and, you know, like I said, my husband's been down 45 years. I worry about him these days more than I did, you know, when we started this journey 45 years ago. I didn't, you know, being younger, but I guess knowing what, what, the, what, what you're facing, what you're looking at, and what the potential is for what they are willing to do. You know, I don't know how they sleep at night. Honestly, God, I do not. Um, with some of the stuff they do. But if you've ever listened to the Stanford, watched the Stanford experiment, they feel very convicted. I mean, I've seen them, you know, um, the location that I live in, you know, there's a prison not very far. And I can see them sometimes getting, getting gas and they feel like they got, I mean, it is like, whoa. I mean, this is training in the making for centuries of how our people are being treated inside. Um, slavery was never abolished. It's taking place within our prisons. We are talking over 200 black men over 200 black men specifically brutalized by only white and Latino guards who are just prison police. This is blatant racism. It's illegal. It's unconstitutional treatment. This is at the hands of these prison police. And it only is highlighting the calls in the street for defunding and prison abolition. So how do we claim this narrative and put it continually put it out there? We don't shut up. <laughs> That's what I want to hear, yes. They never shut up. <laughs> yeah, but, okay, so here's what I want to say for the listening audience, because, you know, for people that are new and hearing this, it's a really brave and bold thing for you to say, you know, your loved one is inside, right? Same for you, yeah. McKinney, right? Your loved one is inside. My loved one is inside. When you speak up, the prison police can use that as a to further retaliate against your loved one. And even when your loved one speaks up, they're retaliated against. So I know it becomes a no-win situation, but it is a risk for you to be brave and bold. And so I want to commend you for that. Both of you for that. They've really left wives like myself no choice but to uh, keep screaming, you know, to the rooftops of what's happening because... If there, if our husbands were being treated the way they deserve to be treated, we would have no complaints. Right. Agreed. And that is all there is to it. Absolutely. Um, and, and you know what? It's almost like you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. Um, there's this feeling of like, okay, what's next? So that's um, a real possibility. You know, they're talking to the security threat group. 
you know, so, you know, when you're having these conversations, you know, you have to know who you're dealing with and what that means and how it can impact you in your life. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, it's not about rehabilitation. It's not about them being the worst of the worst. They have, you know, they, this is job security and money for them. I mean, and we just have to acknowledge that because that's what it is. Because the, the reality yeah. is they've been there for 20 years or 30 years or 40 years. Well, when was the rehabilitation going to occur? Right. And if it hasn't occurred, then what did you guys do to drop the ball? Somebody needs to own that. Yes. And they yeah. don't. You know, um, they can paint us however they want. But if they really gave a damn about the well-being of these people, treating them respectfully, that would be the beginning right there. Indeed. But they don't care. They, I mean... If we treated dogs the way they treated our men, we'd be in jail somewhere. But they can do this with the underlying, you know, narrative of, you know, we're trying to protect the community. The other thing, you know, you know, Rob Diaz came out and said there will be no mass release. So I never believed that when they said that, but the conversation of getting everybody excited about potentially 8,000 inmates, which is largely, I don't know if it's 4% of the overpopulated capacity that they're housing. And, and they're not going to do it. He said that he's concerned about the community. You don't give a damn about the community. You don't care about the community. Right, because if you cared no. about the community, you would listen, at least listen, be letting the elders what, out. If they, took, <laughs> if they took the money that it cost to house each one of them and gave it to a community, uh, they could pay some bills. They could they could donate half of that and the people could still come to live comfortably. They don't care about that. It's not. It has nothing to do with the well-being of anybody except their financial security and the continuation of this brutality and atrocious mistreatment and neglect that they have wholeheartedly, you know, done. And, and if we don't do anything about it, as far as I'm concerned, you know, if we know it then, and we don't do anything to fight and speak out, then come on, something. What, what, I mean, I, you know, I, I told my husband, I, I lose sleep over this. I ain't gonna lie. It's like, you know, I'm like just having a perfect day. I mean, if I talk to him and he's sounding wrong, you just know. You just get a sense, mm -hmm. like, okay, something is wrong. And you know what they'll do. I mean, they'll do it and they'll say it was a mistake or it was um, some type of miseducation or negligence. But that's it. That's that's as far as it'll go. But you're, you're you know, somebody's dead. Right. Well, right, because they're, they're protected, right? I mean, Absolutely. it is profit over people. And so... They don't have to care if somebody dies. Tasha, I noticed in the article, on the, um, in the expose, there's a call for people to, uh, for the public, for people that are listening, for people that have a heart and are not trusting the CDCR and these guards, these police inside. Um, you're asking for uh, the public to call uh, the governor, yes. Diaz. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm asking you to call everybody that is listed. At e call them, email them, send them a fax. I don't care. I want them to be bothered every second of the day until they address this issue and ensure that it's not, they need to put something in place that guarantees uh, that this can't happen again. They can't just take away someone's right to life. They can't. They, they just can't. <laughs> they don't have that authority. And the whole, what you were talking about earlier about the God complex that these guards have, it's just sickening because really most of them are just the high school jocks that, you know, failed in life and they couldn't make it on the police force. So they're like, hey, you know, let's let's work at a prison. And so yeah. the, the lowest of the low <laughs> 
Like when you can't make it in the military, you join the police force. You can't make it in the police force, you go to prison. And so it's we're just bottom of the barrel in it, and it shows. Yes. And you know what? If you just look at where they um, erect these prisons, they take impoverished communities that don't have any type of industries where they're not making any money, and they erect these prisons, and all of a sudden, you know, these deadbeats that didn't have any other opportunities now, you know, they're guards and they're walking around and, it, and it's real, very significant, the change that you see. Um, but it's all for profit. And, 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 and it's, it, it is slavery. It's not like some twist that we put on it. It is slavery. They have contracted every possible entity in those prisons to make money. They used to be able to wear their own clothes. Now they have to wear those, you know, those jumpsuits because now they have a vendor that they can contract this to and they're getting paid to do that. The package is used to shop wherever you wanted to go and send whatever you want to send, but now you have to have vendors of their choice. Um, everything, and I, I don't care if they might, I bet you all of them have some stock in GTL, Walking Horse, all the rest of them. They're all talking about how we're the worst of the worst. Well, who are you? Who are that? If they did a forensic audit on them and saw what a paper trail, girl, come on. Oh, absolutely. They said we'd be we'd we'd be much happier happier if you would just sag your pants and and be quiet and get rid of your books. That's what my husband was told because he doesn't partake in any of of the trendy crap. Right. So he they're like, you know, you wouldn't draw so much attention to yourself if you had less books and if you sagged your pants. Right, because wow. they don't want that they don't want that black man. Because right, yeah. that, that's more than a this is a vestige of of slavery. They don't want you to be. They don't want our loved ones to be transformed. They don't want them to be the powerful black man that that they are. They don't want them to be educated. They don't want them to be outstanding human beings because otherwise, they would have to treat them that way and they wouldn't be there and they couldn't make money off of them. And the ones that are not this this mistreatment. Are the ones that they target because they're. I don't care. They are trying to break them, and the, the extent that they're willing to go to, they don't care. They absolutely have no regard for it. And then, and, then, and the ones that are getting broken, those are the ones that they're going to treat the worst at the end of the day. They make some promises that they have no intention of keeping. You know, and I mean, I've never done time, so I can't really speak on it. I am absolutely positive that it's just. I couldn't even get up and face the day with 80 years to life. I mean, how, how do you get up and smile and program? And I, I mean, it's just these sentences and stuff, but they do it. I mean, they should be commended for that. I'm, I'm with you, sister. Listen, I want the, the I want to, I just want to read this short little, this short paragraph because I also, I, I want folks to hear uh, this narrative um, up against what you two powerful women are saying as loved ones of someone that um, has been um, caged for far too long because the, the CDC small R is going to try and catch the narrative. On, uh, they're always going to put out a narrative like this. And we have to start re-educating or re learn a different language and hear a different language from the, we need, you need to be listening to the families and you also need to be, 
hearing from the ones on the inside about what they are saying about what's happening to them on, on the inside. And uh, oftentimes we have to hear it through their families. We need to start listening to them and trusting them. That is our responsibility as community members out here, whether you have a loved one inside or not. And especially if you don't have a loved one inside, it is even more important that we become allies. And one of the ways to become an ally is to be able to trust what we are hearing from the family members and those on the inside and stop trusting the, the same uh, lies and propaganda and narrative that CDC small are. So I'm just going to read this one short thing here. CTF Central. 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 Tra okay. At Soledad. Is fully committed to the rehabilitative effort of the men who reside here. STG, the Security Threat Group Activity, places the good men who are applying themselves to be good citizens at risk of harm and endangers their efforts to return to their loved ones in the community. STG activity must be stopped for the good of the population here at CTF. Yeah, that was the part of the email that pissed me off the most. Uh -huh. Because my husband is that inmate that he's talking about that betters his life. And he was put in harm's way by the guards. Yes. Any gang members. So they're full of it. Just, I don't have the words on radio, but. <laughs> <laughs> I hear. Yeah, oh. they, got, you know, they got some stuff coming. That's great. Okay, Tasha, thank you. I definitely, yeah, let's leave it there. Uh, McKinney, did you want to have some last last words? Um, just in closing, thank you for this time. But when you talked about um, if you didn't have a loved one, just we just need to let the community know that they have created a pipeline in our communities through foster care, through um, disciplinary actions in the elementary schools and things like that. There's a pipeline, pipeline to send them to prison. So they need to understand that even though if you don't have someone directly related, oh, they're making space for our babies. And so we have to acknowledge and pay attention. This is not... But this is this is this, they, this plan is very extensive. It's and we have to change this. We have to stop this. Absolutely, thank you, you two beautiful, strong women. Thank you so much, Tasha. Thank you so much, McKinney, for being thank here, you. sisters. Thank you. <laughs> Blessings. Bye bye. Bye bye. Okay, folks, please make those calls. You can get all the information from the sfbayview.com article that Tasha wrote called Soledad 3 a.m. Raid on 200-plus Black Prisoners. Stay tuned for Work Week with Steve Seltzer. Disgrace the racist. We under. I wonder what it takes to make this. One better place. Let's erase the wasted. 
be acting right Cause both black and white and smoke a crack tonight And the only time we chill is when we kill each other It takes guilt to be real time to